the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Let's start today by talking a little bit real estate. I'm going to mix a couple concepts here, so work with me. I'm going to talk a little mortgages. I'm going to talk a little inventory. Rising mortgage rates could become a story because for the last 20 years, we've seen declining interest rates. There's been periods where they've stabilized. There's been periods where they climb. But the overall 20-year trend has been interest rates have gone lower. And the overall 20-year trend in real estate is real estate prices have gone higher. I don't think it's because you're a genius buying location, location, location. I think it's an interest rates driven return. Same thing with big tech stocks. When interest rates move on a trend, like a five-year trend or a three-year trend higher, you would very likely see them underperform, except for the thought, that what if we're in a perpetually low interest rate environment? Oh man, renters are screwed. If there's not that opportunity to get in, you're in trouble. There was a small opportunity in 2010 to get into real estate in the Bay Area. We'd suffered a couple years of declines. Um, now some markets are going sideways, i.e. stagnating out after years and years of growth, or maybe starting to hit that upper range of people don't really want that for that cost of money. Rising mortgage rates means you can afford less home. In the end, you and I have jobs. We might have a wife who's pregnant. And she goes, you work too much. She's you know, stay-at-home kind. She's pregnant and she says, you work too much. And I go, well, someone's got to feed us. Dun, dun, um, I don't have a pregnant wife, but I was trying to work in a home. You work too much. You're never at home. Uh, that failed. As soon as the stay-at-home order is lifted, as soon as the stay-at-home order is lifted, hi I'm going to turn in all my bottle returns and buy a yacht. Okay, okay. Rising mortgage rates. They've begun to cut into refinance volume. This could signal a shift away from refinances that could challenge some companies that have benefited from the refinance boom. One thing I can tell you is that in the last 10, 15 years, as interest rates fell, most Americans we're probably pretty wise to the idea of, whoa, I can save $300 a month if I refinance my mortgage. Ooh, I could take money out and go out and buy a yacht or go on a nice vacation. Some people have taken advantage of the lower interest rates and saying, you know what, I'm going to up my payment a little bit, but I'm going to cut my term in half by going from a 30-year to a 15-year mortgage. I get it all. I understand why you may be interested in doing that. Me personally, I like 30-year mortgages for as long as I can service them. 
but higher interest rates will will bring the value of homes down if they're for any sustained period of time. Some, but not all, of the decline is with difficult comparisons with 2020 right now. The week that we were comparing this year to last year might have been a really bad week in headline news, whether due to elections or due to pandemic issues. Rising mortgage rates also factor in this week's decline in refinance applications. Again, if you've had a mortgage for 10, 15, 20 years, you've probably refinanced it. If you've bought a home in the last 10 years, you've probably gotten a rate that you're comfortable with, or maybe you did refinance it already once. But forecast right now is that we're probably off all-time record lows on mortgage rates, maybe forever. Oddly enough, the best time to, to secure a mortgage might have been December, November of the pandemic when we were starting to see super spreader events, Thanksgiving and Christmas really hit. We couldn't get the vaccine out soon enough. People were panicked. People were stressed. People didn't believe the United States government would print money to save their citizens, so to speak. So that's out there. There's not really a great investment in the world of mortgages for me. You used to be able to say something like countrywide credit, but they went away. Then you could say things like Wells Fargo. They do a lot of home mortgages, and they got into a scandal where inside the bank they were fabricating your signatures on credit cards um, or signing you up with a computer. It showed up at your house. You're like, oh, I got a credit card. Might as well sign it and use it. So mortgage rates are a big determining factor of whether your home goes up or down in value, period, period. Um, and I want you to feel really comfortable with that concept, that idea in your head. Next thing that can move your home price value is inventory. The desire for comfy digs, the desire for a bigger home, the desire for a multi-generational home. You combine that with low mortgage rates and if you get that desire, and you get the low mortgage rates, you get demand. Existing homes for sale right now are scarce. Building new ones, the cost of lumber went up huge in 2020. Odds are you've looked at a website called Zillow once or twice in your life. I find it fun. I find it like um, intriguing to take a look at what my neighbor's houses are worth. House hunting during the pandemic has become so common that you saw people like Saturday Night Live base a whole sketch on it. Um, I remember, I remember when I, 2020 March, and we we're talking like, no one's going to buy homes this spring. People are going to stay at home and, and wear masks and no one wants anyone in their home. Well, that turned into a lot more digital examination of homes. And guess what? People want it out of the crowded cities. Homes have been selling at a breakneck pace in uh, ultimately since homes have been selling at a breakneck pace. Definitively, it, it again, it picked up during the coronavirus crisis. The speed of purchasing shows little signs of slowing, especially given that both increased demand for and reduced supply of homes is a byproduct of several economic and social conditions that are still present. I think people are going to really re-examine what a home is to them. For those of you who got stuck in a 1,600 square foot home and you didn't have a second home to go to or a 800 square foot apartment 
um, with maybe a spouse and a dog where you used to be like, well, on weekends, we will get away. Every night we will eat at a restaurant. We'll never be home. We'll just use it for falling asleep and taking showers. Now we're redefining our homes. It's not lost on me that I was like, I, I think I might want a hot tub. Like I'm finding new ways to like, I don't want to go to a gym again instead of soaking the hot tub after a hard workout. The uptick in homes on the market that spiked in the spring of 2020 has essentially shut down the real estate industry. Property purchase grounded to a halt. There was a huge up spike. Um, and we saw months of supply go from about three months of supply to about four and a half months of supply. Where we are in 2021 is we're at under two months of supply on existing single family housing supply. That's not much. It would take us less than two months to run out of all homes for sale, existing single family homes. It's a buyer's market when the supply is over six months because people are holding on to their home that they're trying to sell for half a year and they're trying to get rid of that mortgage payment. They get desperate to move it. It's not moving for a reason, but at two months, prices get 10% above the market asking. Not always. Consult a broker advisor before taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on this show or real estate concepts or ideas might be unique to your local area. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I think 2020, we're going to learn a lot of lessons about what happens when our society shuts down. We urge to travel. We urge to buy clothes again. We urge to date. I saw today that L Brands, uh, the company behind Victoria's Secret, has said, eh, things are looking up for us. People want to wear sexy clothes again. Uh, whether it be nighties, bras, panties, lingerie, what have you. That's kind of one of those interesting signals to me that be ready when things open back up because they're starting to open back up. I did a report that Anthropology, seven of their top 10 top sellers at the end of February were dresses. People want to look good again. Uh, interesting, right? Not wildly interesting, but interesting. Travis Klanick, um, one of the founders of Uber, kind of got run out of the company due to the bro culture that he set up there. I'm not here to talk about bro culture. Okay, bro. He's got a new venture, which is crazy because it's almost it's going to be as successful, in my opinion, as Uber was. That's a Midas touch. What is his new thing? It's something we urge for, something we want, something we desire. We want more kitchens making food for us because we want to get out. And we've kind of learned that, hey, eating ins is to be kind of, how shall we say, exotic these days. He started a company called Cloud Kitchens, which rents kitchens to handle delivery orders. And it's booming the business. The problem is no one wants basically an industrial kitchen in their neighborhood, not even in their industrial neighborhoods. I live off of a highway, and in between the highway and the housing, 
are some shops. In between the shops and the highway are some industrial buildings. Think of it like the place where you take your kids to jump on trampolines. Think of it as the place you take your car to get repaired. Uh, body shops, a lot of industrial in there. And if they opened up an industrial kitchen, it would cause a lot of traffic in between the highway and the shops, the highway and the homes. So the neighbors are kind of fed up, even though it's something we want, we just don't want it in my neighborhood. My neighborhood was stoked when you heard In-N-Out Burger was coming. Then once it came, they're like, oh, we hate it. That big sign, it ruins the views of the hills. But we wanted it, so we didn't have to go down to Palo Alto or up to Burlingame to get it. Everyone was so excited about freaking fracking In-N-Out Burger. That is such a California thing to get overly excited about. But Chicago's Wrigley Field is kind of really close to where Travis Klanick is setting up one of his cloud kitchens. If you know what WeWork is, it's the same kind of idea. It's a shared office space, but for restaurant kitchens. And it bought a long vacant building in 2018 on a a block real close to single family homes and real close to two-story buildings in Chicago. So far, Cloud Kitchens has bought 50 plus purchases across the United States. Um, the whole business idea that Travis Klanick came up with, it, it's a pretty smart one to me. Um, there's a shop down in Santa Barbara that I don't think this concept has traveled as well, but basically it's a mall that was starting to lose foot traffic. No one wanted to go in and buy sunglasses. No one wanted to go in and buy flip-flops. So they turned it into like 10 little eateries. So it's a sushi restaurant that is maybe just a room, like an eight by 10 room, but they're cranking out the sushi all day long. Right next to them is a a faux restaurant right next to them is, and it's just, they crank out food. The mall has done a nice job of setting up seating. Um, This is a concept that could travel and cloud kitchens is playing into it. And Saudi Arabia's sovereign fund is funding it. So it's not going to be any shortage of money. The ghost kitchen strategy is taken off across companies with venture backers and customers who can turn uh, a burrito stand cooked in a kitchen rented by Chipotle then delivered by DoorDash and Uber Eats. DoorDash and Uber Eats loves it because they don't have to work at finding the different restaurants that you order from. They go to the ghost kitchen, pick up your Chipotle. They go to the ghost kitchen, pick up your McDonald's. They go to the ghost kitchen, pick up your famous restaurant. Orders at the North Rockwell location outside Chicago have spiked with all the stay-at-home rules. Companies like Chick-fil-A has set up ghost kitchens inside of Travis Klanick's company. Orders lead to influx of drivers. Influx of drivers equals to two-lane streets. Two-lane streets gets people pissed off. Cloud Kitchens has upended a block where small businesses have coexisted peacefully with each other and integrated into the neighborhood. And people are pissed. Not in my neighborhood, right? But you want it, but not in your neighborhood. It's a common problem. Um, It's like we want... uh, I'm not going to get into a a shady little diatribe off to the side. But Cloud Kitchens is now trying to figure out how to work with um, councilmen, city councils. And if you remember Uber and Lyft were just like, Sue us, we don't care. 
Airbnb is like, sue us. We don't care. We're not going to play by your rules. We can't play by your rules. You don't even know what a 21st century company. You can't even spot the 21st century. So there's been this big, we hate big companies, but big companies kind of steamroll us, but we want what they're offering or thinking of. It's, it's crazy disruption when you see people angry. It tells you it's going to be a very investable idea, in my opinion. One of the most expensive parts of retail is leasing the space. I'm shocked that companies like Best Buy could stay in business. When you go in during the pandemic and you see, um, let's count how many people are in the store. It looks like 10. Pre-pandemic, Christmas time, it looked like 2,000 people. What they've learned is they can still sell a lot of electronics by you picking them up outside in the parking lot. I love that feature. I find a TV that looks great, that gets the greatest reviews. I order it from Best Buy. I go park at spot 15 and they bring it out to my car. Love it. I know you're saying you're getting fat, Rob. You need to move. <laughs> you need to get out of the car on occasion. Nope. So Cloud Kitchen's rollout has wreaked havoc. And, and to me, when you see stories like this, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Cloud Kitchen's isn't the only company causing parking mayhem. Um, there's other companies that do it, too. They're just getting the blame for it. Very disruptive business model. Um, Cloud Kitchen disrupts characterizations of what food and restaurants should be and could be. So look for things... I'm not going to say that pisses everyone off, but Cloud Kitchen is starting to do a national rollout. And Travis Kalanick is going to make another couple billion dollars when this company comes public. Man is blessed with uh, the gift of entrepreneurialism. We're solving problems that we didn't really realize we had. Uber and Cloud Kitchens. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Something that I very much so miss about the East Coast were the seasons. Four seasons, four very distinct separate seasons. California's kind of got a rainy season and a dry season. It's lovely. I don't dislike it, but man, I do love spring. There's nothing like an East Coast spring. Ah, just throw that out there for you. The season's long for each other. The dead of winter turns into, and right now the East Coast is getting rocked by the dead of winter issues. A lot of snow. A lot of non-travel. A lot of trees in the ground waiting to pop out and that's what kills winter little seed pops out of the ground and it turns into a beautiful tree or a beautiful flower and then the heat of summer comes along and says we we kill beauty that's what we do here <laughs> and then the heat cracks and it turns into fall and fall is just a slow dying old man that turns into winter i love how the seasons long and pull on each other um, Netflix is something that is very fascinating as far as, again, a charmed company, but I'm seeing one of the very first signs that the greatest days are probably behind what they can do now is raise prices here and there, but so can Disney plus, um, Disney has better movies than Netflix 
Netflix has more shows than Disney. Netflix has more international shows than Disney. So you start building a case of which one do you like more? And you're going to see Time Warner at some point in time make a big move, in my opinion, to say, we want to be more like Disney or we want to be more like Netflix. And you're going to see other companies kind of all follow each other. But Netflix is now doing something they haven't had to do. I think we've all had a friend, girlfriend, family member, who someone we know is sharing your Netflix password. It's a big story out there, right? They seem to encourage it for a few years. Reed Hastings never missed a paycheck. He didn't die from it. His company didn't go belly up. He didn't go out there and endorse it, but it certainly looked like they weren't trying to shut it down either. Wait, wait, wait. You're in both Washington State and Fresno, California, watching a TV show? If they wanted to, the IP address would be a giveaway. They don't want to. People would say, well, that's my daughter down there. It's a family account. Family accounts are about to get more expensive, in my opinion. Netflix password sharing is so common, there's a good chance you're not the only you're not the one paying for the, the Netflix account you're watching. That's how common it is. And we, I think we all know people. A friend of mine asked me for my Netflix account. And I'm like, no, take off, you hoser. Take off, eh? Um, I don't like sharing stuff that artists had to put together and create. I'll share food with you. I'd prefer not to share a lifetime's work of an artist. Even if they're, even if they're evil. I don't believe in that. I believe in... Uh, rewarding the people who create content. Netflix knows you're doing it. If they want you to stop, they could easily do it. Now Netflix is testing a new measure on limiting password sharing, and people are starting to notice. So it's starting to get into the media. Company has data on every account, every profile, every IP address, and accesses that accesses services. So they know what you're doing. When we lend that password out, they know it. It's unclear how Netflix decides a given stream is unauthorized. The terms of service only disallow password sharing with individuals beyond your household. Even a small family with two parents and a teenager can easily have three mobile phones and a couple laptops and might connect at home, might connect at work, might connect at school, might connect on vacation. A few years ago, we saw a hotel saying, you know, hey, we're enabling all our TVs with the Netflix app so you can sign in and watch it when you're on, on the road. Bring your home with you. So the test is if you log into your profile and your profile, mine's called, fancily enough, Robert. And I've watched a couple shows like Crime Heist, which was a Spanish-speaking one. Um, Money Heist, Spanish-speaking telenovel, or I don't even know how you want to describe it, but it was a crime thriller that was sexy, it was fun, it was scary. It, it had a lot of elements in it that I liked. I watched a zombie show out of Japan. Uh, a, a MAGA show. I don't know much about MAGA, so this is where I start looking pretty darn stupid. I've got a friend who buys and sells Japanese MAGA. I think MAGA might be short for magazine. I don't know. It might be tied towards uh, super creative Japanese animation shows. Is probably a kid who's 
dad was a dragon, but he didn't know his dad was a dragon. He was just a normal kid. And the next thing you know, he's got claws and he turns into this dragon. Then there's another dragon. He has to fight the dragon and save the city. And the girl falls for love. Like, it's pretty dramatic. But because I've watched it now, Netflix kind of throws shows at that like that at me. Um, I'm in their algorithm. And they, they, they get it pretty good, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Some of the Netflix recommendations, I like stand-up comics and I like just the foreign-based shows. And that started with like with like a BBC show. It's just I'm good with that. Um, but Netflix knows me, and what they're what they're doing in the test right now is when I log into my Rob Black profile, it can send me a text and say, "Do you want to double verify? This is really you." And if my friend is in another state and he's sharing a password with me, and he goes, "Hey Rob, I need you to give me that code we just that Netflix just sent you," and I'm like, "Dude, I'm I'm I'm." Watching my kid's soccer game, take off. And then I might be less likely to share it. So what is this all getting at? I think Netflix is at the point where they, they now care about every single subscriber. They're starting to figure out how can we make, how can we grow our numbers from 200 million to higher? 200 million pain versus 250 million pain, it all goes to the bottom line. And that extra 50 million people add an extra $10 a month is a lot more new shows that they can create without losing money. And Disney Plus went from zero to 100 million in, I think, 14 months, maybe 16 months. But Disney caught them. They weren't expecting to catch until 2024. Like, they weren't expecting to crack 100 million. So now Disney's going to have more revenue on their bottom line, and they're going to be able to create more shows. And the issue is, is how many subscriptions can we really truly support? I think five or six. Um, that's what research has shown us, that we're willing to spend a little bit more on content if it were coming in from five different content providers. We didn't really like spending that similar amount on a cable package because a lot of the cable package wasn't really unique to us. But the TV services have become unique. I didn't watch WandaVision. I know a lot of people watched WandaVision. And I, critically, I hear it's it's pretty great. That it was pretty original, pretty different, pretty out there. For a superhero town set in the 1950s, I think that's the premise. They they showed a lot of secrets, and people liked it, and they, they got kind of caught up and distracted with it. But I think we can support more. But I think Netflix is in trouble. I'm not saying in trouble, trouble. Like, they're not going to go out of business trouble. But they're starting to look at how can we get more subscribers because the signups in the United States will slow naturally coming out of the pandemic. As you're going to work and driving in traffic, you have maybe two less hours to occupy yourself with television shows. As you're going out to a restaurant, oh, you get to the restaurant, there's a 45-minute wait. You have less time to consume TV shows. Right now, you're just sitting at home, waiting for food coming, put dropped in your mouth, and you, you're like, wow, I got six services. I got to find something on TV to watch tonight. <laughs> Oh, yes. So I think that's a bad sign. The more I stay at home, the more I look like a homeless person. Hmm. It's a tough crowd today. Um, tough crowd today. Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. Want to talk beer? We can talk beer. 
Beer and Netflix sounds like a good combination to a lot of Americans right now. Beer, Netflix, and looking like a homeless person living in your own home. And please don't cancel me. I love homeless people. The beer industry is made up of companies specializing in the production of beer. There's not that many players. There's SAB Miller. There's Anheuser-Busch, InBev. Kieran Holdings, which is Japanese. By the way, Anheuser-Busch does have a great ticker symbol. If you want to play a game of great ticker symbols of all time, Bud, B-U-D, Bud. Unlike a lot of past economic shutdowns, downturns, um, it changed consumer behavior. Sharply lowering beer demand in many regions as bars and restaurants have to temporarily close or reduce capacity. There's something to be said for going to a restaurant. Oh, and boy, by the way, I was reading about one of my local restaurants, just getting savaged reviews because they started opening back up and everyone's like, the beers are awful. It tastes like they've been sitting in there for a year. <laughs> and I think that might be true. But consumer staples is the category. Let's, t- let's save this and talk about this in the next segment. Let's talk all beer stocks, beer ideas, beer investments, fast-growing beer. Uh, we can compare them to liquor. We can compare them to the S&P 500. Good idea, bad idea. Maybe we can even get into some alternative investments called wine stocks. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So if 50-year-old Rob could go back in time and talk to 20-year-old Rob, Rob Black, he'd say, Rob Black, Black, Rob Black. You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to watch the next software stock and be correct about it. You could cheat a little bit. There's things called send stocks. There's a mutual fund, an ETF called VICEX, V-I-C-E-X. It is not a recommendation for this is how you should do it. It is a thought on how I could have done it. In my 20s, I could have fallen in love. I could have found a partner to marry. I could have traveled a little bit more. But I wanted to start a business, and I wanted to start learning more and more about investing. Um, There's nothing wrong with sin stocks. I know you're saying, I don't know if I want to invest in sin stocks. My dad died of cancer. My mom died of COVID. Let's go back to my dad real quick. Smoked cigarettes. He drank booze. Fought in a war. Killed people. My dad was a tank commander in one uh, one duty in Vietnam, and he was an intelligence officer in the other. One tour of each. Um, maybe Agent Orange gave him cancer. We don't know. But it was probably the cigarettes, is my guess. You could still buy Philip Morris or Altria, and like they, it made sense for a lot of people. In the 1990s, we went through this. In the late 80s and early 90s, we went through this period of attorneys general suing Philip Morris, basically saying something along the lines of, "You're causing cancer with your product. People are dumb enough to take it." And there was a couple years back that you were hiding that you were causing cancer. 
So we're going to make you pay. And attorney generals went after them to the tune of billions. If that lawsuit were to happen today, that would be, they would be going after trillions. I think. I could be totally wrong with that. Um, but we're going to smoke. We're going to drink soda, wine, beer, you name it. Uh, it survived a good economy. It survived a bad economy. It survived the pandemic. I think that's worth it, uh, throwing out there. So when I talk about investing to my younger self or my future self, you, you don't have to hit home runs. I can go through a, a list of software companies right now and just blow your mind on enterprise value. And you'd be like, who cares about that kind of stuff? That's like hardcore. I know. Um, taking a look at it right now, I'm just looking at enterprise value to revenue on 200 software companies. Some of them range from a high, like, coupon, Plantier. PLTR, you probably have heard of them. Very secretive company. And how do you invest in a secretive company? At least we know Philip Morris causes cancer, right? And then way down the list on the value side, you'd get something like an Adobe or an Autodesk. Tesla's now being thrown into the analysis as a software company because they can sell their software to other car makers or they can start doing a software business model on subscriptions. But that's a lot of work. Old Rob or new Rob, future Rob talking to old Rob would say, yeah, Boston beer is fine. Constellation Brands, Carlsberg, however you want to go um, on the returns, maybe you want to go with consumer staples instead of, say, Philip Morris and an alcohol company. I would be totally fine if you were to say, Rob, I'm going to tell my kids – they're 18 years old. I'm going to tell them one of the stocks they should own is going to be Constellation Brands. And you're like, what's Constellation Brands? Let's talk about it for a second. Constellation Brands is a winery. And they've basically done a lot of consolidation. But they also have Corona Extra, Miomi, Robert Mondavi, uh, Grupo Modelo. Uh, they got Spirits. They've got... Premium spirits, uh, Svedka vodka. Although, you know what worries me now? Doesn't it seem like everyone's coming out with a vodka or a tequila? And they're all being acquired. And I don't know if Clooney's tequila is that good. But take a look at Constellation Brands. Take a look at a long-term chart of it. And tell me if like that would offend you to get that kind of return versus a return you can get at a bank. 